No, why I played that was because when you look at that, you think, how on earth did they do that? How on earth did they set that up, have it exactly at the right distance to make sure that bloke landed in that pool? As far as I can tell, I don't know whether anyone's found out whether they dodged it, but as far as I know, that that was a real thing. They actually did do it. But it's a mystery, isn't it? How on earth did they possibly do it? It's just beyond belief in some senses. But it grabs you, doesn't it? I was sitting there all week thinking, how did they do that? How did they work that out? How did they get the angles? How did they work out the slide? How did they put it all together? And I was just thinking through it because it was a mystery. Because we love mysteries, don't we? Uh, We as a human race love to see that something needs to be solved. My son's just spent 24 hours with a Rubik's Cube in front of a computer trying to work it all out together. It's a mystery. He's been trying to put it together. We love them, don't we? Uh, we love to know, well, what really did happen to Michael Jackson? Is he still alive? What really happened to Elvis? He's living out the back of Tenerfield, isn't he, somewhere? It's a mystery. Maybe he's there. What did happen to Olivia Newton-John's old husband, boyfriend? He's made a phone call to someone to say he's still alive. What happened to baby Azaria Chamberlain? How come St George is on the top of the ladder? It's a mystery, isn't it? Oh, no, 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 that one's well known. He's got Wayne Bennett, uh, Queenslander coach. That's what it is, I'm sure. Is there a Tasmanian tiger? Really? Are all those people scouting around Scottsdale at the back of Bridport trying to find something? Is there really something there? Uh, We love the mystery, don't we? Not only the mysteries that we see with people, but we love books that are mysteries, the Agatha Christie stories. The Inspector Perot, uh, Dan Brown mysteries. We love the idea that there's something out there, but if we work hard, we'll be able to solve it. Got to find out what that mystery is. Get the case solved, close it, and put it away. And we have the same sense about life, don't we? The mystery of life. How does it all come together? How does it all fit together? How does this life, this mystery that we're in, come into some sort of form and shape that we can make sense of? Because there's plenty of people out there telling us how it should work. You get on Dr. Phil or Oprah every day of the week and there's someone telling us how the life should be. The secret, the mystery, how does it all form, how does it all come together. The Da Vinci Code telling us it's all a fabrication. Ray Elians telling us it's all about extraterrestrials. Madonna selling us it's about Kabbalah, a mysterious form of Jewish religion. Tom Cruise telling us the answer is in Scientology. But can I suggest to you that the answer that you seek is not by ringing one, two, three, four, but it's in the passage that we're about to read. Remember, we're in the book of Colossians. Uh, We're looking at a book that Paul wrote a letter to, a group of people who have another group of people coming in and they're the church, but they've got a group of people within the church trying to tell them that they haven't quite got it yet. They haven't quite mastered the mystery of life. You haven't quite sorted it out yet, guys. You need to have this extra enlightenment. You need to have this extra special spiritual enlightenment. You need to get this one more thing and you'll know what the mystery of life is all about. And Paul writes to them, And he writes to them this letter. 
And in this passage that we're about to read now, he reveals the mystery to us. So Kim's going to come up and read it for us. It's from 1 Corinthians, 1 Colossians, sorry, 1 Corinthians, Colossians chapter 1, uh, verses 24. If you've got your Bibles, open them up. It will be on the screen. But we're going to work through this passage together today, so it would be great if you've got your Bibles open. I'm going to try and point you through it and show you what the Bible is saying. Uh, so open it up, have it in front of you, Colossians chapter 1. And uh, Kim's going to read it to us, verse 24 through to chapter 2, verse 7. Now I rejoice in what was suffered for you, and I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, which is the church. I have become its servant by the commission God gave me to present to you the word of God in its fullness. The mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but is now disclosed to the saints. To them God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. We proclaim him, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone perfect in Christ. To this end I labour, struggling with all his energy, which so powerfully works in me. I want you to know how much I am struggling for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not met me personally. My purpose is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love, so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding, in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I tell you this that, so that no one may deceive you by fine-sounding arguments. For though I am absent from you in body, I am present with you in spirit, and delight to see how orderly you are and how firm your faith in Christ is. So then, just as you received Christ, Jesus as Lord, continue to live in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in faith as you were taught and overflowing with thankfulness. Thanks, Kim. So did you see it? Did you see the answer to the mystery of life? Look, it's there in verses uh, 26 of chapter 1. It says this, The mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and all generations, but is now disclosed to the saints. To them God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of his mystery, which is Christ in you. Have a look at 2 verse 2. It says, My purpose is that they may be encouraged in heart, united in love, so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God namely Christ. The answer that we seek, the answer that you seek, the answer that the world seeks is Jesus. It's him. Jesus is the answer to life now and life eternally. Well, how's the answer? How does he solve the mystery of life? Well, let's think that through together. If you look on your service sheets at the back, there's a bit of an outline that will help you work through this together and if you'll notice we've changed the outline a little bit at the back too we've placed at the bottom of the outline a little action box so the aim is at the end of the service today that you don't go away from here thinking well gee that was a long 30 minutes Uh, but you go away from here thinking what is an action I'm going to do from today's talk so let me encourage you as you think through this what actions are you going to put in place but you'll see there first in how does Jesus solve the mystery of life 
Well, firstly, we need to just jump back a little bit to last week because we find out that Jesus is the mystery of life from last week because Jesus is God with flesh on. Jesus is God. Look at chapter 1, verse 19. It says this, For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him. And then jump across to 2, verse 9. It says this, For in Christ all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. Jesus is both fully human and fully God at the one time. That is stunning. That is hard to grasp. But yet it is truth. And that is how, part of the reason how Jesus fulfills the mystery. Because being both God and human in one means that he is both creator and saviour of the world. He is creator. If you want to know what God looks like, if you want to understand who he is and what he does and how he operates, then you look at Jesus. Last week we said that that's got nothing to do with looks. If you want to know what the Weeks family is like, you just look at the kids and you know what Ben looks like. It's just a character trait. Sorry, not just a character trait, but a a visual trait that runs through his whole family. But with Jesus and God, it's a character trait. He's exactly like God because he is God with flesh on. He is the maker of this world. As Mike sang for us and as he aptly explained to us of how Jesus was before time, his creator, his redeemer, he's going to bring it all back together again. He fulfills the whole lot. He's amazing, isn't he? And if he's the maker and creator of everything, then he's the guy who knows how it should operate. He's the guy who knows how it should work. Not that I'm picking on Ben today, but if you go into Ben's garage and you walk around, you'll see... A number of different things that Ben has put together. And as you look at those things that Ben has put together, you just sit there and you go, what on earth is that? It looks like it'd have completely nothing to do with anything, but if you speak to him, he explains it, he works it, you say, that's ingenious. That's brilliant how he put that together. But if I was to take that, I'd have no idea because Ben made it. If I speak to him, I understand how that operates and how it works. He makes sense of that piece of equipment. Jesus makes sense of this creation because he made it. Jesus is the answer to the mystery of life because he's the creator of life. And not only is he the creator of life, but he fixes our biggest problem. Jump back to verse 21. That's why I told you you need your Bibles open today because we need to look at what, he, what it says. It says, Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behaviour, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you whole in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. This is a, passage, a sentence that Les started the service with, wasn't it? You see... This tells us that in and of ourselves, we are broken humans. We aren't as we should be. We don't operate as well as we should do. I've been playing hockey this year occasionally with my sons, and I mean occasionally because half the time I'm injured, half the time I'm broken down, and I've realised very quickly that my body is not what it used to be. It's broken. And the older we get, I think, the more we realise that, don't we? that our bodies are not as they should be. 
And not just physically, but more importantly, relationally. Relationships break down all around us. And most importantly, our relationship with God is broken down. When we don't know him, when we don't trust in Jesus, our relationship is broken. When we want to run our lives our way and do the things that we think that are right and not the things that God thinks is right, then we sin against him. And because of that, it breaks the relationship that we have with him. I'm going to use a couple of people for an illustration here. Ben, could you come out the front? And Brendan, could you come out the front? I was trying to think how do we visualise this for us in a sense. Let me try and visualise it for you. But that's the picture that we have here, isn't it? That separation and brought together. But it's not a it's not a stony, you know, wooden cross type thing. It's a loving relationship type thing. It's a personal thing. Jesus isn't a figure, a stone figure that we bow down and worship. He's a living, loving being who breaks his arms around us and draws us together in relationship with himself and with God the Father. That is beautiful. And that's what he achieves for us on the cross. And all we need to do is trust in that. That's how he solves the mystery. He's the creator. He knows how it works. He's the redeemer. He brings us together. And as he brings us together, the next part of it is that he empowers us by his spirit. Have a look at what it says in verse 26 and 27. The mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but is now disclosed to the saints. To them God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. See, when we trust and believe in Jesus, we are brought into a relationship with God and Jesus together. We understand what eternity is about, but then we are empowered to live with him and for him by his spirit who lives in us. That's what it says there, doesn't it? It says which is Christ in you. Jesus comes to dwell within us by his spirit. Now, that's a, that blows our minds. That's more mysterious than the bloke who goes down the chute and lands in the water, isn't it? That's a stunning thing. He lives within us. He lives within us to empower us to live for him. You see, we are no longer self-empowered when we trust in Jesus, but we are spirit-empowered people when we trust in Jesus. 
On the news last year, you might have seen, uh, they had a bloke in Switzerland who was dropped out of a plane with a set of wings on his back and a jetpack. And what they did was they dropped him out of the plane. And you think, oh, no, this bloke's gone. And then he pulled this thing and the jetpack fired and he took off. Whoosh, straight across. And you don't know, he flew for a couple of kilometres or something with this jetpack on his back. It was this amazing thing. He was like a real-life Buzz Lightyear, you know, a little doll that wings flick out and he takes off and flies across the side. Amazing. Uh, in a sense, we're a bit like that plastic Buzz Lightyear when we try and live by ourselves. We think we've got wings, but when we're dropped out of a plane, but when we have Jesus in our lives, when we are empowered by the Spirit, we have a jetpack on the back that just goes, and we're off, living for Him. We have Him within us, who empowers us to live for Him and gives us the hope of glory to know that this life is only a glimpse, a glimmer of the amazing eternity we're going to spend with him. You see, our hope in life, our purpose in life, our motivation in life is no longer tied to our success or failure, but it's intimately entwined and connected with Jesus and his success. Do you see the difference? No longer is it just about us and fumbling through life, but we are intertwined with him and living for him. Now, that doesn't mean that life is going to be white rosy all the time, but it does mean that we're going to be able to get through life and live with him and survive this life and into eternity. Because in Jesus, we are never alone. Never alone. That's stunning, isn't it? doesn't matter where you are, what you're doing. doesn't matter whether you feel like there is no one around you, no one cares. Jesus does. And Jesus is there. And he's within you by his spirit to help draw you out of that and take you further. That's a wonderful saviour, isn't it? He solves the mystery of life for us. And when he solves the mystery of life for us, he empowers us to live the life for him. So what does that spirit-empowered life look like? Well, look, see, let's have a look at what Paul says. Let's look at his life, because his life is a life that's empowered by the spirit. Let's see what he does. Look at what he says in verse, chapter 2, verse 1. He says, I want you to know how much I'm struggling for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who've not met me personally. Struggling here is Paul struggling in prayer. Remember, he's praying for them continually. Here, struggling means he's struggling in prayer for these people. He's never met them, but he's praying for them. Two weeks ago, I asked you, uh, encouraged you, challenged you to take a uh, church directory home with you, if you haven't got one already, and start praying for those people on those pages. How are you going with that? How many are you doing it? Go on, Benjamin. I know you are because I'm doing it. Ray, excellent. Joan, wonderful. Great to see. Start doing it! Don't just sit there and go, oh, yeah, that's a great idea, Paul. I think I might try that one day. Do it! I don't stand up here every week to go and say, 
Oh, this is a lovely idea, guys. This is a wonderful thing. I say because it's a good thing to do. Get out there. Get off your backsides. Get on your knees. Sit up in your bed, wherever you are, driving to work. Turn the stupid radio off. Open up your directories. Have a quick glance. Keep your eyes on the road and pray for them. Get your things out of your ears. Turn your, your little iPods off and pray for 10 minutes. It's not going to kill you, but it's going to do amazing stuff because you're in communication with God. Paul is struggling for these guys. He doesn't even know them. You know each other and you can't even get up in the morning and spend five minutes praying for each other. That's pathetic, isn't it? Kick yourselves up the backside. It's not good enough, guys. Come on, pray for each other, please. That's what Paul is passionate about here. He is struggling for them. Let's struggle for each other, guys. Let's pray for each other. That's what a spirit-empowered person looks like, a person who struggles in prayer for those around them, for those they know. And not only that, but as they're struggling in prayer, they're not just in their rooms praying, they're out there loving. Look at verse 2. My purpose is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love, so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ. In loving people, you actually get to know Jesus more. That's what it says, doesn't it? It says, understanding that you may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, because you're united in love. Because we are loving one another. It's an expression of Jesus to one another and we get to understand Jesus more as we love one another. And as we love one another more, we become more, more united together in our diversity. I was supposed to bring, and I forgot this morning, to bring down a quilt that Karina had made. Uh, it's a beautiful quilt that she's been making for a long, long time, but she completed it not long ago. Uh, and it's a quilt that sits on uh, Hannah's bed. It's one that's been making for ages. And it's got all these squares. I don't know how quilting works, but this is generally, I think, what happens. But you make up all these squares, and then you sew them all together. And then what you do is you put a border around the whole lot to bring it all together. And then when you put all those squares together, look like this disparate sort of colours and all this sort of stuff all over the floor and all over the place. When it's brought together, you still think, oh, that's a bit strange. But then when you put the border around it, it just looks stunning. It's amazing, isn't it? This patchwork quilt suddenly forms something beautiful. We are all patches. We are all different. Some of us have hair. Some of us don't. Some of us have stomachs. Some of us don't. Some of us are tall. Some of us are short. Some of us have got good sense of humour. Some of us haven't. We're all different. We're our patchwork quilt. We're all these little squares. But when we bring it together, united in Jesus, united in love, we have that border of Jesus and his love around us and we form something beautiful. Jesus' body here on earth. He is the head. He is the border. He is what holds us together. As we bring all those patches together, as we come closer together, as we love one another more and more, we become more and more what Jesus desires of us, his beautiful quilt, his beautiful body. And you see, Jesus gives us the power to do that. And remember, it's not about us. It's not just us trying to do it in our own strength and our own power. He lives within us through his spirit. He empowers us 
to live together and to hold together. That, that's what it's saying here to us. We need to remember that it's him who empowers us to do that. When we're feeling down, we think, oh, seriously, I can't go around and help them clean their backyard. It's tough. I don't know when I've got time. Well, we need to pray that Jesus empowers us to see that and do it. When we're thinking back and thinking, what can we do? We'll pray. There's someone who's... How many people have had babies in our church? How many people are going to have babies in our church? Send them a meal. Pop over. Have a couple with them. Have a chat with them. They love to speak to adults rather than kids, people who've had babies. You don't realise that. They love to speak to someone who actually doesn't go goo-ga-ga. They like to actually speak to humans. No babies are, you know, they grow up. They love that, don't they? Spend some time, pop over, go and have a chat to them, talk to them. Think about people here who may be struggling with their health. Think about people in our community who may be struggling with their health. Pop over and see what you can do to help them. Stick out a hand and say, how can I possibly help you in any way? Showing Jesus' love through your love. And as we do that, we actually get a bigger picture of Jesus as well. So what does a spirit-empowered, what was a Jesus-empowered person look like? It's a person who struggles in prayer. It's a person who seeks to show love and unity and draw people together again. And it's one who stands firm. So there, so in their understanding, so they grow in their understanding together and that we stand firm together and so that we don't become divisive together. You see, the big thing that Paul's talking to here in this church is a group of people who are having people coming in and trying to splinter them off. People coming along and trying to drag them in little directions. People who are trying to say, well, you're not, you haven't quite got it sorted here, guys. Uh, Warwick and Jenny and ourselves, as you know, went to Vanuatu this year and the year before when Warwick and Jenny were over there, they didn't know this at the time, but there'd been a group of people, Christians, who'd gone into that little community and when they got into that little community, they dug a well for them. That was beautiful. But what they'd done is they'd actually taught them that unless this, your community had been, if you're as Christians, unless you'd been speaking in tongues, then you weren't really full-on Christians. And that caused a huge split in that little community in Vanuatu. People weren't talking to each other because they got into arguments over it. It caused a huge problem amongst them. And the only thing, Warwick, when he went and spoke there last year, spoke on 1 Corinthians 12 and how we are unified in love and we all have different gifts, of which tongues may be one of them, but we all have different gifts and we're together, we're to work towards it. And he, it was a stunning thing because for the first time, some of those people who have been fighting with one another were united to one another. Why? Because they were taught the truth about Jesus, that there are not two classes of Christians, that we are one in Christ, who are differently gifted in different ways, who are patches on that patchwork quilt, but we are united together in him. And you see, Paul is speaking to a group who just had that happen to them. And the thing is, it's not people from outside. It's not like a cult down the corner who you can really quickly point out that they're off the show. These are guys within the church trying to peel them away. And look what he says in verses 4 to 7. He says, I tell you this, so that no one may deceive you by fine-sounding arguments. For though I am absent from you in body, I am present with you in spirit and delight to see how orderly you are and how firm your faith in Christ is. So then, just as you receive Christ as Lord, continue to live in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught 
and overflowing with thankfulness. Do you see it? We need to be connected into Jesus. He needs to be our central focus. He's created everything. He's redeeming things. He's going to be there at the end. There's no other place to go. We've just got to be connecting into him. And we need to be careful what we watch and what we listen to. We need to be careful what we watch on pay TV, on the Christian channel. We need to be careful what we listen to on Christian radio. We need to be careful what we see on the internet. You can listen to anyone anywhere around the world who claims any resemblance to Christianity at any time of the day. You just click on it. And we've got to be careful. Careful that they're not people just trying to hive us just and drag us just slightly away from our focus on Jesus. We need to set our hearts, our eyes, our minds on Jesus alone because he is the only one that we can grow in. He is the only one that's going to keep us steadfast. People who are empowered by Jesus will be praying people, will be loving people, will be growing in love with Jesus and not being moved. And they'll be thankful people. Look at verse 7. Rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and are ever flowing with thankfulness. Whereas Aussies have the ability to not be thankful, often, don't we? We have the ability to pull down someone very quickly. We have the ability to see the worst in a situation very quickly. We have the ability to see that they shouldn't be doing that. We have that ability to not be thankful. But spirit-empowered people are people who are thankful for what they have. You see, gratitude is the guardian to our soul. When we get into doing stuff for Jesus, telling others about Jesus, becoming stronger as we learn more about Jesus, as we start loving one another like Jesus, when we are struggling in prayer with each other, then there is one bloke who hates that. One bloke who can't stand that. And that's the devil. He hates it. And he'll be out to pull you off course. He'll be out to derail you, to make you feel tired, to make you feel down, to make you doubt, to want you to throw a spanner in the works. Someone who wants to sort of drive a little wedge into the unity of the church. He hates it when we're here together singing and praising God together. He wants to drive a wedge in. He hates it when you're out there living for Jesus. He wants to make you feel like you're not good enough. He wants to bring you down. He wants to say, no, nah, this isn't the best thing you could do. There's other stuff out there. Look at this glamorous stuff out here. This is what you want. This is the tempting stuff. He wants to pull you away. He wants to say, yeah, business is more important than godliness. He wants to say, yeah, popularity is more important than loving people no matter who they are. He wants to get in and destroy our relationships. But we need to guard our hearts in prayer and thankfulness to gratitude for what God has done for you in gratitude to what God has done for us. It will guard our relationship with God but it will also guard our relationship with each other. When your attitude to another is thankfulness for them, for who they are, for the fact that God made them, then it's very hard to hate them. Isn't it? It's very hard to get really angry with someone when you're thankful for the fact that they're here and they've been part of your life and they're involved in what's going on. 
It's very hard to go around gossiping about somebody when you're being thankful for them. Let me encourage you, when you get together in a group and people make a point uh, when they're trying to pull someone down, maybe just throw in the first thing we might want to say is a word of gratitude and thankfulness for the person that they're wanting to pull down. Flip it. Change it. Send the conversation in a different direction. It'll most likely stop the conversation from moving towards muckraking or frivolous talk or gossiping. It might actually draw them into thinking, there's a good stuff about that person, isn't there? The group is guarded from sin by gratitude. Maybe the next time you meet with someone, rather than going into how the weather is or the state of the council or the fact of the cane season at the moment, speak a word of gratitude. Tell them, thank God for you. Gee, I'm glad that you're here. Makes such a difference. I'm really pleased that God's brought you into my life. Hey, that'll change the conversation, won't it? Take it in a completely different direction. Tell people how thankful you are that you live in this beautiful place. Tell them how thankful you are that you have a roof over your head and you've got people who love you and care for you. Tell them how thankful you are that they encourage you for their commitment to Jesus, for their efforts to be a great dad, for their trying to do the right thing at work, for standing up for good when they're at school, for being in the community and not getting involved in the gossip that's around them, for the way that they're trying to live their Christian life. Thank them for it. Tell them, I'm thankful to God for the way that you're living. Tell them you're thankful to God that you've brought them into your life because your life wouldn't be as rich without them. Gratitude will guard your soul. People who are empowered by Jesus will be praying, will be loving, will be growing in love and not being moved. They'll be thankful people. They'll have a deep desire to not keep that mystery to themselves. We have the answer to life, guys. We have the mystery. It's been solved. You don't have to go looking in books. You don't have to go to self-help. You don't have to go to the gurus. You don't have to listen to Oprah. You don't have to watch Dr. Phil every week. You don't have to go into the bookshop and try and find amongst the myriad of things out there telling us what is the answer to life. We have it in Jesus. It's there in him. Let's share it, guys. Let's not keep that mystery to ourselves. Let's just hide it away and keep it and say, well, it's a personal thing for me. It's not a personal thing. It's a life-changing thing. It's a world-transforming thing. Jesus wants to see the whole world come to know him. Paul says, I want to see everyone perfect in Christ. That is, he wants everyone to know Jesus. He desires us to take the mystery and make it known. Let's not keep it to ourselves, hey? Let's take the answer to the mystery of Jesus, who is Jesus, and take it to the community and live it and show that we love them through him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we uh, let that soak in, there's lots in that passage, Lord. There's so much that we could just pour over and think through. Lord, we thank you that your word is like a two-edged sword. It cuts through to our soul, Lord. There may be just one thing today that you have pinpointed in our lives. 
We pray, Lord, that you'll perform surgery on us by your Spirit, Lord, and change us. Change us, Lord, into the people who you desire us to be, people empowered by you, people who live for you, Lord. We know, Lord, that we can't do that by ourselves. It's only in you. It's only in Jesus. And we want to say thank you, Lord, for that. Thank you so very much. In Jesus' name, amen.